Hi, Robert here, Zone 3 Podcast. We've got Reggie today. We're lucky to be joined by Eileen, who's yes. been a nurse in radiology, but more than just radiology, been a nurse in general for many, many years, and we'll talk about that. Thank you, Eileen, for joining us today. Yes, we're very happy to have Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And today we're kind of covering the subject of radiology nursing. What do they do? What services do they provide? What value do they bring? So Eileen, we'll let you just kind of take it from there. So I've been in radiology just specifically for 15 years, but over the last almost 40 years, I've been in in and out of radiology, but the last 15 years specifically in radiology. And I noticed that a lot of healthcare people really had no idea what the heck we did in radiology. (laughs) So I just took it upon myself just to put a little information together just to give, especially nurses in the healthcare profession, just a little information of what we do down there just to give them a little glimpse of what radiology nursing does. Now, you didn't want to keep it as like the best kept secret in the hospital? Um, No, because (laughs) a lot of nurses, believe it or not, when we have float pool nurses come to radiology, they Mm -hmm. end up working as a radiology nurse because they go, this is great. We want to do this too. So most of our nurses that we, new nurses that we get, we get them from the float pool. So wow. yeah, I hear a lot of positive feedback from the nurses that we work with. Yeah. Um, seems like they really enjoy their position. Yeah, it's a fun place to work. It's interesting. It's so, not just fun. It's very interesting. Right. I guess you say a lot of people are confused by what it is exactly that you do. So what are some of the most common questions that you get maybe from other nurses? Right. I think a lot of people get CT and MRI confused. They oh, they go, right. what's the difference? Isn't it the same thing? Right. They get contrast confused. They think, you don't you get that warm feeling with MRI contrast? They wonder why do we have to start specific IVs for uh, right. for radiology? Different um, yeah. They go. They don't understand about. They say, "Well, do I have to take my earrings off for a CT?" And I go, "No, it's different than an MRI. You know, CT for doing a CT of your head. Yes, you have to take your earrings off. But if we're doing a CT of your abdomen, no. Right. If we're doing a." MRI of your abdomen, yes, all your metal has to come off. No metal in the room for MRI, no metal in the scan for CT. Right. So that's the difference. And I try to educate patients as well as nurses. Now, when it comes to being a radiology nurse, you get to touch a lot of the modalities, right? Not just like MRI, CT, but like... Like how many nuke modalities med. do you actually work Oh, ultrasound, work in? nuke med, oh, wow. um, breast it, imaging. What IR. Else do it? Wow. Well, IR I did in the past, but in our facility, IR is a separate nurses. Okay. IR mm. cath lab. But I used to do that in the past. Oh, wow. So that just to give people an example of the size of your facility, about how many beds would you say? Oh, there's like, 300 beds in our facility. Yeah, and growing, right? Oh, it's growing in leaps and bounds. Can't keep up. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. So a day-to-day with the different exams, different biopsies and procedures that we do, what would you say that you mostly have your hand in with with the different Um, Well, we do a lot of ultrasound biopsies, transplanted organ biopsies, paracentesis, thoracentesis. We did a lot of CT biopsies. And if you don't mind, just for the viewers listening, can you just kind of quickly break down what exactly what a para or thoracentesis is? Okay, a paracentesis, it could be from 
organ failure like liver disease causes fluid buildup in the abdomen or could be from cancer, a lot of uh, ovarian, that kind of cancer or liver cancer causes fluid to build up into the abdomen and it's in Uh the abdominal area. And so fluid, it could be anywhere from a few hundred cc's to thousands of cc's of fluid. The most fluid I have seen taken off is 19 liters of fluid that we have taken off of somebody's abdomen. 19 liters of fluid is is like five gallons of fluid. Ooh. Just how that translates to imaging, it's basically a patient with ascites. And so patients oh, with ascites. ascites is the yeah. Word for it. yeah. And so these patients for MR that I, we can speak for, they don't image very well. Right. No. They're more susceptible to artifacts. So therefore we have to bring them on a smaller magnet. So we put them on the one five. Right. Typically they're bloated. They're in a lot of discomfort. It's hard for them to hold still for as long as we need them to. And to to lay flat. Yeah. It is extremely hard for them to lay flat because all that fluid moves up and it compresses their lungs. And you get these patients that, you know, they have a need for these drains like weekly. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes twice a week. Yeah. Wow. Sometimes twice a week. So if you could time their imaging to be post- you know, you're you're able to get you're better, in better that way. Yes, yeah. better position. Yeah, and For so sure. that's a paracentesis, and that's a draining of the fluid that builds up in your abdomen. So, what it would be a thoracentesis? The same thing, but in the chest cavity. Okay, so, so ascites versus pleural effusion. I yeah, yeah. I got a quick question too. So, radiology nursing is more of like an outpatient type of nursing because we work in a hospital. But is it more environmental? Like when you say a thoracentesis, is that an outpatient procedure that you're doing, or would that normally be done in a hospital? So it is a, an outpatient, it can be an outpatient procedure, but we can oh. do it on, of course, inpatients as well. Right. It's a quick procedure. There's no sedation involved. Oh, All nice. it is oh, is the home same day. local. Yeah. It's just cleaning and a local, you know, we use lidocaine. We use buffered lidocaine, which is a lot nicer than just straight lidocaine. Oh, really? Buffered lidocaine? Buffered lidocaine, lidocaine huh? is a lot nicer because it puts a little, we use um, sodium, bicarb. sodium bicarb and it oh. doesn't sting as much. Oh, nice. So it kind of just smooths out that stain. right in there, yeah. And you just put a catheter in, similar to an IV catheter, goes into the spot. And I used to work on the floor in an outpatient, you know, in a clinic setting, and they did thoracentesis just in an exam room without uh. ultrasound. They uh. did tap, 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 and found the lowest spot and cleaned off the, the area and stuck the needle in. You know, and then just a outpatient. Are you meant to observe the patient afterwards for a a pneumothorax or? Pneumothorax after a thoracentesis is rare, but it can happen because you're not in the lung, you're in the chest cavity. So you're not really. Uh, but you can hit the And do they usually access sure. it like from a different direction, lateral, anterior, posterior, uh, or is posterior. it just very, okay. It's always posterior. Okay. Yes. Is there a reason for that? Less because likely for a less pneumo? likely for a pneumo. Yeah. Okay. Now I know you mentioned kind of how things were done then and how things are being done now. Now have you seen, I can imagine you've seen a lot of change in your career just in maybe like even IV technology, right? Oh, IV technology. Oh, my gosh. We used to, years ago, when you started an IV, once you got into the vein, you took the needle part of the IV out of the vein to Mm -hmm. advance the plastic catheter in, and you had a three-inch long needle that you put down on the your surface. So you had this long needle 
That's why a lot of healthcare workers used to get poked with the dirty needle. Oh, so geez. now you have safety needles that right. it's either manual or um, automatic like action or something that yeah. goes back into. So that was a big, that's a big change. Wow. So in your years of experience, have you ever been stuck by a dirty needle? I haven't been stuck by a dirty needle, but I was stuck with a dirty scalpel. Really? But it was not that like, was worse. You almost. had one to choose from. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> it was it was back in the eighties. Stuck by a dirty it, axe. <laughs> oh, it was in my finger, and it oh. was an eighty-something-year-old in the eighties. So. Oh, okay. I felt pretty safe. <laughs> Still <laughs> unfortunate. It was a little old lady. Right? <laughs> so, with you said with the other nurses and other workers within the hospital. You get a lot of questions about what's the difference between CT and MRI. What would be some of the other questions you would get? You know, with ultrasound, like, well, why do they need an ultrasound? Why why can't they do... Oh, CT and MRI is like a big thing. Why can't they just do a CT to look at damaged knee? And I said, well, CT can't really look at soft tissue as well as a MRI. MRI is better at looking at soft tissue. CT is better at looking at the bones. So these questions that you're getting from other nurses or from the actual ordinary physician, though? Oh, no, no, not from the physician. No, I'm glad I don't get that from the physician. Oh, my God. I'm curious curious why the nurses would be asking those questions, though. No. A lot of times they put the orders in for the physicians, too, right? No, no. It's just like they're just wondering why oh, okay. would they do this test over that right you know okay. why don't they just do a quick ct yeah. oh right yeah. right makes sense have you seen a lot of uh, job openings in the radiology nursing sector in our facility if a job opens up it's filled very quickly right. because it's a a popular position because they heard about me and reggie right <laughs> yes <laughs> they want to get invited on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> well, I, i'm just interested to kind of has radiology nursing always been around or is it one of those things that just there's a gradual need for it? Years ago, I worked in radiology at another facility, and this is back in 90, 91. Mm-hmm. We were special procedure nurses, basically radiology, and we worked in a big facility uh-huh. and there was two of us. Oh, wow. So we did special procedures if anybody needed, you know, CT. And I don't ever remember going to MRI now that I think of it, though. But that was back in 90s. So there wasn't a lot. I I think so. Radiology has come a long way. A long way. Nice. Big time. Things are changing drastically, especially on our end. So I can only imagine as a nurse. Yeah. Seeing all that change too. Because okay. even the electronic health record, right? Like even how we're recording things and things are kind of getting passed around now from hospital to hospital. Yeah. I think it's been amazing, right? Oh, definitely. How's that kind of... Oh, healthcare. Let yeah. me tell you, wait, uh, I'm going to blow your mind here. I mean, <laughs> healthcare has changed. I mean, back in the 80s, we used to smoke in ICU at the nurse's station. Yeah. The nurse's station oh, was, wow, was so this big with a monitor, not a computer. There was no computers with the, in ICU and we had the EQ. KG at the monitor, and there was a patient 10 feet away on a respirator, and we would smoke at the desk. When wow. you say we, so funny. the you nurses and the doctors, <laughs> the doctors smoked at the bedside. Yeah. Wow. I've heard these stories. So like normal, there's some MR techs that used to smoke there in the control field. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so yes, healthcare has come a long way. <laughs> yeah, a lot of regulation. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> So, uh, so things so have changed. when you talk about nurses who start off as a float or whatever, and they didn't really have experience in radiology before, but then afterwards they really like it. 
do you notice that there's any, because you know, we're coming from an MR perspective, so do you notice that there's a lot of fear as far as MR safety goes? I, yes. They I go, notice a lot of oh like my uncertainty when I see yeah. in their eyes. <laughs> or too much comfort. That makes sense. It's one or the other, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. If they have too much comfort, yes. Right. So my little PowerPoint, I have also sent to the float pool also that they have a little idea of what we do in radiology. And it was also to help them with the IVs and to, you know, th that they will do a better job at starting IVs and that we would have less infiltrations because infiltrations in radiology is serious, especially, well, especially in CT because they get large doses, really. Large doses in a very short time Ooh. under Right. very high PSIs, and right. we were talking about that. Yeah, yeah. And we were definitely going to cover that. One thing that I actually had a question about. Oh, and this this one here, a lot of people, especially patients, will say, but I already had a CAT scan of my abdomen and pelvis at a different facility, or I already had a brain MR right. at a different facility. So this says we have 250 different MR protocols. Yep. We have 150 different protocols just for MR brain. Right. 150 exactly. brain MR protocols. So they may have had a MR brain somewhere else, but it... It might not be of the trigeminal nerve or, uh, right. or what, you know, whatever that protocol might exactly. be for this time. Exactly. Yeah. So they go, well, why am I having this one again? So right. this also kind of helps with, you know, those kinds of questions for patients for too. For sure, yeah. And, you know, CT, we have 500 different CT protocols and we have 78 different ones for ab abdomen and pelvis. So that, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, protocols that we use. And we have a lot of specific, you know, yeah. at our facility, we do a lot of specific For protocols. sure. <laughs> very, very light. And when you say protocols, so because we have our oh. imaging protocols. And then as a radiology nurse, you guys have like your actual, like maybe some kind of IV size protocol. Yes. or yeah. IV protocols and medication protocols and, you know, there's protocols for, you know, specific rules of what we need to do to get the patient ready for oh, an exam. All right. So they need to have this size of an IV. They right. need to have fluids before the exam. They oh, need true. to have this medication. Right. They need to have an IV in this arm. They need to have... Um, labs drawn for this reason. Yeah, yeah they need yeah. to have... Exactly. They need to have labs, you know, and make sure that their kidney function is okay. Right. right. So there's a lot of... And protocols, I mean, before, you know, it's, you know, specific information that you need to know before this patient is ready for their exam. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes a long way because you guys are definitely like the first line of defense because you guys usually see the patient before we do. Yes. And when you do have a good radiology nurse, it's just so seamless, that transition. And the patients already have those questions answered about, oh, are they going to use this, you know, indirectal coil or, you know, things like that. And, you know, because there's so many questions that that people have. They anticipate these exams, especially MRI. So it's, it's, it's great to have someone in the chair like you, Eileen, that can really kind of really talk to them about this kind of and stuff. And you chose the endorectal coil with the reference. <laughs> well, let me tell you the first time I heard endorectal coil, and I right. told this to your manager and supervisor, the first time I heard that my image of an endorectal coil was a bed spring. Ooh. And I thought, this is what they put 
up oh, like a, to the prostate yeah. endorectal coil, and your supervisor laughed so hard. <laughs> she goes, I'm not going to get that image out of my head now. <laughs> oh, that's so true. <laughs> because, I, yeah. I, I mean, get closer to the prostate. You got to put a coil in there, right. and it's a bed spring. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. For oh, those of you at home wondering what in the world we're talking about, <laughs> <laughs> whenever we do an MRI of a prostate, we use a coil, an Sometimes. antenna, if you will, that's designed to be inserted into the rectum of the patient. So right. endo, which means inside the rectum of the patient, endorectal coil. So yeah, bring that up. Dave, if you would, <laughs> pull up a picture. That's what the endorectal coil looks like. And if you're wondering what the what the size is to scale, um, what could we use as a reference? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into this too much. Right. Uh, Let's just say it's wanna... like a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> and <there's> multiple... <laughs> a hot dog is a good. <laughs> that yeah. is a good reference. There's multiple coils out but there too. But coil and... is just, I then learned that a coil is just another term of, of a piece of equipment to to put closer to the body right. part to get a better image in MRI. Exactly. It's an antenna. It's a radio antenna Your pretty antenna. much. Yeah. Yeah. That's to pick a better up those frequencies. Yes. Yeah. So sorry, I digress. Yes. No, that's perfect. No, <laughs> this is great. And so we're actually lucky enough to be joined by Eileen, who's the most prepared patient, or excuse me, guest yes. we've ever had. Yes. <laughs> She's brought a PowerPoint. And so we'll kind of go over the PowerPoint. Um, we went over the endorectal coil. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Did you bring that up, like screen on screen? Yeah, so CT and a lot of CT and MR, the contrast, like people are like, oh, well, I have an allergy to iodine. Oh, my gosh. So I'm, I'm definitely allergic to, to MRI. And, I, you know, it's like apples and oranges. It's not even the same. CT is iodine. Oh, really? Gadolinium is oh. totally different. Right. You That's know, a they're, question we get a lot. Right. Yeah. Mm. And they're two separate things on your periodic table right. of elements. Those rare earth metals, have, right, yeah. So, you know, iodine is an element, and so is gadolinium, and about 3% of the population is allergic to iodine, where only 0.1 of the population is allergic to gadolinium. So, and what would a reaction be? So 99% of the time, if somebody has an allergic reaction, it's hives, little kind of looking mosquito bites that they might have on. Yeah. And that's usually the kind of allergic reactions that we have. Very rarely somebody has a more severe allergic reaction where they stop mm. breathing or they have respiratory, you know, they have swelling in their throat or they have a more severe reaction. So and what would that be called? Anaphylaxis. I've experienced it once. Have you? Uh, we have experienced it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have so. you experienced it as an actual person or as a, as a patient? As a, uh, like, a tech scanning a patient. Oh, your patient yeah. Where I injected and oh, they okay. experienced it. Yeah. yeah. So we see that more in in, in CT, CT. Uh-huh. yes. Yeah. Right. So, but rarely you ever see that in MRI. So, and actually one of the reasons why we have IV access instead of doing a butterfly is for that reason alone. So we have immediate access in, right. in the event just of a reaction. Just in case. Because a lot right. of people ask, why are we doing an IV? Can you just butterfly it? Right. It's a question we get often. And that that's a good that's a good reason that you have IV access afterwards just in case. Because if they have anaphylaxis, I tell patients... You know, especially for CT, they're sneezing, they're coughing, they're saying there's something wrong right on the table as they're injecting. That's right. how fast it's just, it happens. Oh, so, you're, so time is crucial at that point because yes. if that airway closes up, then it just, yeah. just oh, yeah. It's it's fast. It's fast. Yes. Oh, it's crazy. 
So that's on the MRI. Then I was trying to explain Then I think on the next one, it's like. So if you don't mind, I interrupted. But for just before we leave that topic, so for patients who do are presented to you with a reaction after exam and it may be hives or whatever, what would you do in that event? So hives, we look, you know, if they have like four hives, we give them uh, fluid. I always have them empty their bladder because all the contrast is in their bladder. Oh, right. I mean, within... Before they get off the table, the right. contrast is in their bladder. That's right. how fast it goes through your system. Ooh. Kidneys are amazing. Right. So I have them empty their bladder to get most of that contrast out of their system, and then we give them PO fluids, lots of oral fluids to flush mm. their system out. And then if it's more hives, we might give them IV fluids. If they have a driver, we might give them Benadryl. If they don't have a driver and it's not bad, we will give them, you know, Allegra or, you know, some kind uh, of yeah. stuff that's non-drowsy medication. Right. Also nice that they have that option. That way it doesn't yes. have to get a hospital stay and things like that because of something like this. So that's awesome. I mean, if it's bad, I mean, <laughs> we will stay, go... Right? You know, solumedrol maybe first, which is, you know, a steroid medication through their IV. We haven't done that in a long time. Thank God. And then if it's really (laughs) bad, they would get epinephrine, adrenaline through their IV or, you know, sub-Q. At that point, the cold blue button has been pressed, right? That's, you know, the EpiPen. EpiPen, Now we have EpiPens on all of our crash carts. And I haven't done, well, not since we had EpiPen. I haven't, I've never done that, thank God. (laughs) But, you know, we have that on all our crash carts. But you can also do IV Epi also. Oh, nice. Okay. Adrenaline. Yeah. Perfect. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean... So you've you got to be pretty versatile, sounds like, to be a radiology nurse. Yeah, right? and we're all advanced cardiac life support trained. Oh, nice. So we all have ACLS, ACLS. Nice. training. So we do know emergency And steps. you've got a background in cath lab too, right? Cath so lab. And, and my background before good, that is ICU. Transition. Yeah. Oh, nice. Dang. So is that kind of one of those recommendations before you go to radiology? Cause is it is radiology nursing entry level or is it more like an advanced nursing would you say like maybe where you would kind of find yourself after you've had that ICU experience and that cath lab experience um most radiology nurses have a lot of background before they get to radiology nice is the history you say you've done ICU you've done cath lab you've done radiology obviously sounds like you like radiology a lot but where have you found the most fulfillment I guess When I was in interventional radiology, I thought that was very cool when you gave contrast, especially to when you were doing like carotids or head, and you watched somebody talking on a fluoro and you saw, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, a skeleton talking on right. fluoro. I just thought that was so cool. Right. But I learned a lot in IR when you watched, you know, systems and you could see yeah. contrast going through and... Watching the functionality <laughs> kind of play out in real time, Yeah, in right? real time. That's I crazy. thought that was very, very cool. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. I learned a lot in IR. Cool. But I kind of put it all together when I came to radiology and then saw all the different modalities. Yeah. So we've covered some of the questions that you get, and it sounds like you get a lot. So what's the difference between CT and MRI? What's the difference between the contrast itself? Do you get other common questions, too, with the nurses or ordering physicians or whoever, or just friends and family? Well, then this next slide, I go, I could see why people get these mixed up. CT and MRI machines themselves they look very, very similar. And, you know, they're just two big 
you know, donut shaped machines. So I try to explain to them, you know, a CT is the one that, you know, you're only on the table, you know, 10 minutes, Real quick, yeah. 15 minutes, there's no noisy clanging machine, you know, sound. Right. But MRI, you're kind of more in a tube, inside the tube. Are there more nursing protocols for CT or more nursing protocols for MRI? That's tough. Yeah. Because um, I feel like with MRI, we have a few protocols that need a certain like IV size, maybe like a perfusion and things like that. Or might be a CT, CT, there's a lot. Right. Is there a chance yeah. where you ever have to put in like a smaller IV, like a 24, 22 gauge? Mostly in they're CT, all pretty big, right? No, they're all big. Yeah. Right. Usually big. Yeah. And with MRI, there's urograms. You might have to get set up for a LASIK or something like that. I imagine you can do the same thing with CT. CT. But, right. Uh, yeah. So there's similar protocols. So there's a lot of translation there, I would imagine. Yeah. I see. Yeah. You know, and the biggest thing is no, like the difference with CT and MRI. No metal in the picture for CT. Right. No metal in the room for MRI. Oh, I like so that. So that you know, I think is the big distinction. Yeah. And then I, you know, I showed them the pictures. There's lots of similarity with the pictures. You know, if you just look at a picture, you may not be able to tell, you know, if that's a CT or MRI MRI picture if you're not, you know, like familiar. Trained. Yeah. Especially an abdomen. I mean, look at those abdomen pictures. Those right. are very similar. I remember so. training for MRI. And kind of when we were reviewing cross-sectional anatomy, it all looked the same to me, except ultrasound, of course, which just looks like right. white, you know, right. That's white noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to ultrasound again. We love you guys. Well, and you just mentioned cross-sectional anatomy. That's probably by far the biggest similarity, right? Right. From CT and MR, yes. Yeah. With x-ray, it's not. And with this, it's, it's cross-sectional anatomy. Straight so. cross-sectional, which just means it's, it's multiple planes that we're looking at, the sagittal coronal axial planes or uh, transverse. But yeah, I mean, I could totally relate and I can understand how people can get those things mixed up because they kind of look similar. Mm -hmm. They have the same kind of scanner kind of look, but they're drastically different, right? And I explain to patients what a cross-section piece is. Like if you take a loaf of raisin bread and you cut it down oh, nice. and you go, then you could see your raisins. You could see a little swirl of, you know, cinnamon. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. see the inside of your loaf. And that's what we're doing to the we inside make of an their infographic body. like that. <laughs> make raisin bread and do yeah. all the transactions. <laughs> That'd be great. You could actually bring in raisin bread for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dave little says butter. you're a great baby. <laughs> yes. Eileen's a great cook, by the way. <laughs> So, you know, I'm just trying to explain just so they have a visual in their head, like what is the difference? So you put apples and oranges together just to look at the difference. Look at the brain. Right. I mean, the brain right next to each other. I think a trained person would have a hard time picking out what is the difference between a CT and MRI. Right. So. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why the radiologists get paid such good money because they have to take it to that next level and find out not only why they're different, but, and understand, you know, how that affects the anatomy and the, um, what am I trying to say? Like pathology and stuff, right? Because CT is going to present a certain pathology differently. She's, uh, she's got an example of pathology at the bottom there. Yeah. So hemangioma on the left is CT, hemangioma on the right is an MR scan. By the way, I've got a huge hemangioma on my liver, so. Oh my. Yeah. Hey, get that Just a little fun fact for the day. Yeah, <laughs> oh my. Yeah, yeah, I used to think, you know, radiologists had it 
easy. Right. They just sit around, they look at pictures. That's in the old days with the pictures up on the <laughs> right. on the screen, oh, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I used to think, you know, so a cardiologist just has to know the heart. A neurologist just, heart. just has to know the brain. <laughs> right. you know, a urologist, just the urinary system. Right. But a radiologist has to know everything. everything. And, and they, they have to know every little nerve, yeah. artery, every little, they have to know everything. Right. So when I came to radiology, I realized radiologists are super smart. So impressive, right? <laughs> they are. I mean, and I've, they been, are. I've been doing MRI for, I would say a while now, like almost eight, maybe nine years. And there's certain things that I can pick up. And to my esteem, I, I consider myself a very good lesion finder type of technologist. So there's rads out there that, I mean, this these very minute, like discreet uh. changes. And you don't see that first, but then after them revealing, I'm like, oh yeah. That, yes. That, Isn't that, is that, something. Uh, that shadow. Wow. And it's like, yeah. I did not it's, see it's that. It's such an expertise. It's amazing. They have the yeah the gift of observation, I guess, the skills of right. observation. Actually, I've got a great radiologist story. They're a tell visionary. You quick, it's a quick one. No, sorry. Uh, shout probably. out to Poya, if you're listening. I won't say your last name, but Dr. Poya. Dr. Poya. One time we had, in the MR department, Zone 3, actually, we had moved a frame picture in 8 by 10 from like one side of the room to the other side of the room. Something that would go unnoticed by everybody who walked through the room, except for the radiologist. He walks through the room, and it had only been changed for about an hour. <laughs> and he goes, you moved that, that frame, didn't you? And I said, now how in the world would you notice that? <laughs> And he just walks out of the room. He's like, I'm a radiologist, bro. <laughs> I'm that's, like, that's right, because you notice these things. They're super observant. That are, not, so, that observant. Have, are, that are different. Yeah. yeah. So I, that's something I would have never noticed. Dang, but, word fine master, right? So right. just like that 8 by 10 frame, he's looking for lesions. But Reggie apparently is a lesion master. Yeah, <laughs> you know, not on, on a certain level, that's very much lower than the radiologist. Basically, oh, yeah. it's a kind of a, a quick example of what's the difference between MRI and CT. Basically, MRI specializes in soft tissue. Right. That said, we still look at bone. CT specializes in bone. That said, they still look at soft tissue. So that's right. kind of the difference. Right. And they use like a CT for stroke alerts because it's fast, but they are doing strokes now in MRI. You oh, know? that's right. And a lot of their angiograms are superior to MRI, according to radiologists. Right. Um, right. Not me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, so. CTAs actually are, are apparently the superior option, especially for a patient where there's urgency. Right. That's the thing. It's they're faster. Too, and some yeah. patients can't go into MRI, you know, for claustrophobia or they right. have some metal parts. So that's actually exactly. probably a good transition. So when patients come to you and they're due to have an MRI and they're getting their IV started and then they say, I'm super anxious, are you able to offer them any kind of sedation? Not sedation, but we can offer them Valium, you know. Oh, so kind of Some medication of almost. our radiologists yeah. will okay. Is that five... facility to facility policy or is that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so yes, some of our is. radiologists <laughs> will. Uh, there's places there's no way. And was... some radiologists are not okay, okaying 
five yeah, milligrams of oral Valium. Fright and liability is huge too. Exactly. Right? I mean, they don't know what medications this patient's on. They don't know if even if we say they have a driver, they don't know right. that this patient's going to go out and drive and kill somebody on the road. Well, and right. patients will say they have a driver just because they know if you say that they don't, exactly. we're going to send them home. So. Right. so a lot of people are not comfortable with saying, yeah, give them five of Valium, which it's not like a, you know, a serious narcotic, but... And I don't blame them. Right. But a lot of times patients, their ordering provider, which I am very surprised, the ordering provider will say, oh, MRI will give you something. Or MRI oh, yeah, we will. Do get that. They say, we're well, going to give it to us. MRI will put you under. Yeah. MRI. Oh, yeah. I've had that happen many something. times. Yeah, and I say, oh, did and, they? And so <laughs> they said the, that, did they? <laughs> the ordering well, providers need to be educated on what we can and cannot right. do. Right. So that amazes me too. Or also when they're allergic, they'll say, right. oh, MRI will give you something right. for your gadolinium allergy. No, 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 that's not true either. Exactly. So their ordering provider needs to be educated. So you know, a question I meant to ask you earlier when we were talking about reactions to the contrast, is there any kind of translation? Like if you are more susceptible to being you know, allergic to one contrast, does that mean that you're more susceptible to being allergic to the other? Or are no, they completely not No, but there's some people that are just allergy, they're very Everything, sensitive, right? yeah. you know, they come in and their allergy list is three pages long. Wow. And they are just super sensitive to everything. They are just like a allergic person. So, yeah, I mean, I am more concerned with them. They go, well, I've never had gadolinium, but, right. you know, anything causes them a uh, allergic reaction. And they hear so, the word contrast, and they just think it's all the same, right? right? Yeah. No, but they're also very sensitive but to sensitive. everything. Right. So, right. yeah, so everything, anything it's can make It's good to be them, precautious, yes. for sure. But then, but if they're alert, or a lot of people, oh, I love this one. My mother's allergic to gadolinium. Yeah, I get that. That, uh, that doesn't right. mean. We, what we get is my mom's my mom's neighbor is allergic to iodine. Oh my gosh! I <laughs> Sorry know. for your mom's neighbor. Um, yeah, so it doesn't <laughs> right, and it's, you know it's it doesn't not contagious. Matter. No, it's <laughs> right. not. So I say, you know, well, we can just try it. It's up to you. And I think if somebody is so anxious, right, they just might. I don't know. To work themselves up into a reaction, right? right? Like, yeah, because you're right. actually having a panic attack more so than a exactly. contrast reaction. Yeah, and that's kind of scary. And that's your mind the other powerful. thing. Your mind is a powerful thing. Yeah. That's another thing is, you know, being claustrophobic. Oh, right. I love that we have essential oils and we have yeah. those. I love those little... The sticky yeah, the, lavender uh, one. Aromatherapy. Aromatherapy. Strips, right? yeah. I you know, I've been at our facility a long time and they would have poo-pooed aromatherapy years ago because right. that's that's not that doesn't work. Right. It's not now, in the Western medicine guidelines, that, no, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> now, oh yeah, they embrace it because right. it's not a medication. It's not you can't get addicted. You right. can't it's something that they go, hey, if it works, use it. Right. And 
I try to, again, kind of prep patients. I go, you're going to be laying in here. It's going to be noisy, clangy. The MRI techs are wonderful. They Uh will talk you through it. They'll put something over your eyes. They will be right there behind the glass. So I think if if I prep them and kind of give them an idea of what to expect. Yes. Because the unknown, that's kind of scary too, Yeah, right? if I just go, oh, here, just stick the IV in and Wait let right them here. go. They'll come get you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think if I talk them off the ledge a little bit right. and I give them one of those aromatherapy, we have these little lavender aromatherapy things, and I said, do you like lavender, the smell of lavender? I give them one of those. I go, make believe you're on a beach or at the mountains. And I I talk with them and they go, I feel so much better. I find for those patients, if you're just willing to give them a little bit extra of your time. Yes. And you're willing to kind of like validate their fears and 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 give them the extra time to educate them. They don't kind of wash away their anxiety and it'll help. If they know you're at the other side of that glass and that they just squeeze that ball, that little emergency ball that they know that you're gonna be right there. Right there, yep. I think a lot of it they're better. Yeah. But if they just go in there and you just like stick the IV in and go next. Right. It only escalates. And there's places that do that. So we're we're fortunate enough that we work at a place that we're given the time slots that we can give that extra time. I I think uh, Hollywood plays a big part in kind of the fear of the MRI too. Hollywood's completely wrong. I know there was an episode with House, and maybe we'll pull this up later. Uh, Maybe I'll put in the show notes if I can find the link where I think it's like LL Cool J or someone was getting an MRI and like the entire time he's, he has nothing on him and he's just like screaming and he's shaking like, ah, cause he had a tattoo that man had like some old lead, you know? So he was screaming cause he had all these tattoos on him. He's like, ah, and I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, Mm, all that movie how, he's doing. I'm thinking, how old are those tattoos? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, why is Dr. House right here running the MRI scanner? <laughs> and yeah, not that doesn't those. happen anywhere, but it's just very unlikely. You know, the doctors are very short-staffed these days, so they're needed to do, you know, other things. So, <laughs> so it's very rare you see a doctor actually run a scanner, but it's just funny how Hollywood presents an MRI and some of the other imaging modalities as well. So it sounds like you get a lot of questions amongst other nurses within the hospital setting itself, but do you get questions from your friends and family just at home? Like, Well, no, I think there was uh, David and I were watching, was it the office and somebody had to have a MRI and Michael, the character in the office, was trying to put his foot in the MRI when <laughs> Dwight was having oh, um, right. a head MRI. And it's like, that's not going to happen. You know? right. so, yeah. so, yeah, like Hollywood. You found your problem. <laughs> you got a foot in your head. Yeah, yeah that's not going to happen. So, I mean, Can we tell our audience who David and the connection is? So David's our producer. He's our young Jamie because we copied Joe Rogan blatantly. <laughs> and uh, David's mom is Eileen. So, yes. <laughs> So we work with both of them, actually. We like um, to keep it in the family. Yes. <laughs> so it was easier to book you that way because <laughs> we just put that guilt trip on Dave. Thank you, by the way. Okay. Awesome. So um, we went over the differences between CT and MRI. You want to kind of skip to the next one? We actually, by the way, Eileen, we did a whole episode on the difference between CT and MRI because we get that question a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there'll probably be a link in this. So for you viewers, we go into depth on that. Look for that other video. 
I also get, why does our facility not have an open MRI? Oh, yes. I would love to answer this question. Yes. Go ahead. So I go, they're not strong enough. Right. So this picture is a one and a half T, one and a half Tesla image. And mm-hmm. I actually tried to find, I know there's a 1.2 T MRI and there's one in the valley somewhere. I don't know where. Right. But our weakest MRI is a one and a half T. Right. So even a 1.2 T is, you know, pretty strong. But I mean, our strongest MRI is a 3T. So if I had an option between a 1.2 open MRI and a 3T, I would go for the 3T. Right. But just real quick, so when she says 3T, that means three Tesla. Yeah. One Tesla is 10,000 Gauss. Your magnet on your refrigerator is about 50 Gauss. Right. So we're looking 50 Gauss versus 30,000 Gauss. I worked with a tech who uses this analogy. I love it. And I stole it from her, Donna. Thank you. So you know the magnets that you stick at home? onto your refrigerator. Well, the magnets that we use, you can stick a refrigerator to. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good, I like that. I'm gonna have to steal that. (laughs) And it relates to your image quality big time too, right? Like the stronger your strength, the higher the resolution you can kind of get out of the pictures. The shorter your scan theoretically can be as well. So, you know, you don't get the same bang for your buck. It's gonna be, that radiologist's job is gonna be so much harder to get the diagnosis from an open MRI. From a and don't you need a closed system also? Like a yeah. So what I tell patients right. is it's counterproductive. So the whole reason, one hundred percent of the reason why your doctor ordered MRI is because MRI is superior to other modalities as far as image quality. Right. But once you you go from closed bore to open bore, you're now compromising that image quality so much so that it's kind of counterproductive. It's like, well, what are we even doing this anymore? Right. You know? Exactly. You went from an A quality exam to a C quality. Well, they were looking for A quality. Right. You know? Right. And they might miss something. I mean, when we're looking at tiny little lesions that... Exactly. So they could miss a tiny little lesion. And are you willing to compromise your diagnosis based on your anxiety? I mean, we have things for that. We have oral sedation. We have have anesthesia. We have the time to spend with you to reassure you, but... And I love this picture. I mean, he looks so comfortable in <laughs> right. that open MRI there. <laughs> exactly. That it makes looks me like claustrophobic. Still, though, yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> so. so even the open MRIs are deceiving. And by the way, that is true, though, because MRIs, like, it's a board you go into. It looks like a, t- a tunnel. So you go into it. Yeah, and it's right there in front of your face. Yeah. But a lot of times, these open MRIs, they're like a sandwich. Exactly. So well, it's I call this a right there in your face. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, <laughs> like yeah, that. if you're truly anxious yeah. or truly claustrophobic. Might as well just go with the yeah. I mean, technology's changing, so we don't know how the technology might progress in the future. But the way things I've seen are still moving towards the closed system, the donut bore magnets. Right. And I mean, they're, they're getting down to like the nanoscale on when they can compare different tissue lesions. Like it's, it's amazing right. it's how that's moving. So don't cost yourself a diagnosis because of your fears. You know? right. Give what you came for. And I will go, we'll definitely cover your PowerPoint here too. We can skip to the next slide if you want. But one thing I did want to cover in the world of radiology nursing, I would one thing I would imagine you deal with a lot is infiltration or extravasation. Oh, I think that's perfect sense. Yeah, look at yeah. that. So with that, yeah, it's obviously related. But what would you say that you guys kind of deal with the most between the two modalities, CT and MRI? Where do you see it the most? Because I imagine infiltrations, mm-hmm. CT, and is it has to do with the mass, the volume of which well, you're injecting? Yep. 
Oh, yes, because we'll inject 250 cc's into an arm because we inject so fast. And a lot of times the patients don't even feel it. Right. And especially if like, they're a little on the fluffy side. Right. It goes in within just 60 seconds. And then they get that warm feeling, right? They get that, that warm flush. feeling it's and like, they think, oh, this is just a normal feeling. Right. So they don't even know. Right. So we deal with a lot of infiltrations. And on the MRI side, MRI only injects yeah. 10, 15 yeah. cc's, which is just tablespoons <laughs> amount of fluid. Right. So it's not you don't notice it as much for sure and uh just if you don't mind dave will you pull up a a picture of just type in extravasation and go to images yeah because ct and if you would eileen just kind of i do have a picture of what infiltration and extravasation i do have a picture on my slide it's actually of a child of what a extravasation uh looks like the next one a yellow one so Ooh. this is a Ouch. a child that a contrast extravasated in the hand, and then it's a image of the hand, and then the middle picture is a it's called a fasciotomy. Yeah. It's so what happens when fluid is extravasated into a small space? It cuts off. It's like kind of like a carpal tunnel, like you don't have enough space for the nerve to move. Oh, right, right, so right. they've got to release the space pressure, yeah. so that you don't cut off the nerve. Right. So that you don't have damage. So but they do a fasciotomy. And so they fillet open your arm. Wow. And this one's a pretty neat looking one. Yeah. Usually they do a zigzag pattern. I don't know why. Oh, but this is a uh, neat looking one, and then they sew it back up. And so, sorry ahead. to interrupt, but if you could just kind of define what extravasation is, because I imagine there are people lost okay. right now. So, in the slides before, it kind of explains yep. it. Go ahead, if so, you don't mind, you can kind of. If we want to go back, I'll kind of explain like if the IV is not inside the vein, if the IV is just kind of just sitting just inside the vein and then the patient puts their arms above the their head and then we're power injecting and power Ooh. injecting we use a very high pressure power injection to get the contrast in All at right. a very high pressure so that we can scan and inject really fast at the same time for right. our cat scan pictures a lot of um, protocols deal with the timings and everything. So you got to have the timing. Yes, down. timing. These, so that yeah. little catheter can back out of the vein and then infuse the contrast into the surrounding tissue. Right underneath the skin. Inse- huh? Instead of into the vein. Ooh. So instead of going inside the vein, it goes into the surrounding tissue. And it just swells up at the tissue instead of going into the into the venous system. Because CT can have sometimes like 250, like 250 cc's, cc's, yeah, which is a cup of fluid, and that all can go in stuff. Ooh, so it's yep. just like Popeye muscle right there, huh? Yep. Just, wow, yep, a cup of fluid all into a tiny space. I've, yeah. I've actually never seen one of these before. Wow, so yeah, what was it called? Fasciotomy, you said, for that, that pediatric patient. That is that something that's common for extravasation, or that I would imagine? Yeah, that, they do a lot of fasciotomies. Yeah, really? Mm-hmm. So but for an outpatient setting, if you had a patient who was presented with extravasation, that wouldn't be your first step, no, right? No. So what we do is we elevate the 
arm. Okay. We first put ice packs on it for pain, and then we'll put heat packs on it. But elevation is the best thing to try to like, well, first we'll try to suck it out. You know, see if we can suck any of it out manually. We'll put, keep the IV catheter in and see, put a syringe on it and see if we can um, aspirate some of it out. Doesn't usually happen because it's in the tissues. You know, it's not like in a vessel. So we don't usually get much out. It's diffused by that point. Yeah. Yeah. So then we'll elevate the limb, then put some ice on it. Everybody's got like a idea of what to put on it. Some put ice, some put heat, but I think ice at first, if it's painful, you know, kind of ice it Stricks, and yeah. then heat to kind of help it diffuse. Absorb. You yeah, see, I guess yeah. my question has always been, why isn't that definitive as far as hot or cold? Because everybody's got an opinion. Okay. Right. So, but I think heat to make it diffuse, right. you know, and yeah. absorb. So your body's going to absorb it. But if it's a lot of pressure and you're going to cut off the nerve, then fasciotomy is the way to go. Mm. So that's why for CT, I never go like in the lower arm. arm. Oh. I always go up here. Nice. And so that's what you're saying. Up in the upper uh, arm. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that a nurse with 15 years of experience in radiology would do. So right. that's So that's why your experience is so valuable to these new nurses coming in. Right. And I suppose because... You know, you got more tissue, more tissue here, right? right? Yeah. And then the the type of IV, what we do too. So why I kind of developed this was to, to kind of explain if you have a short IV and you're going to a deeper vein and you only get the tip of that catheter into that vein mm-hmm. and then you put a power injector and what, how much PSI is on your power injector? Yeah, it can easily go up to the highest. I've seen it goes 200. I, I, I think I had on my PowerPoint oh, yeah. what your PSI what because the PSI is, yeah. Right? yeah. I wanted to oh, explain. Nice what power injectors and I wanted to give a little kind of, especially for nursing. Yeah. So what we did, so that on the left is a little kind of IV pump. Mm-hmm. And if you put that up to the fastest it would go would be 999. So that's a, a liter of fluid in, in one. one hour. Okay. So 250 cc's of fluid, which is a cup in right. 15 minutes, that would be the fastest it would go. That would be at 36 PSI, right? Right. CT power injector, we would inject 250 cc's of fluid in 60 seconds at 200 PSI, at least 200 PSI. So MRI, we usually inject 10, 15 cc's. And I think in my notes, it might have had what the... uh, PSI for MRI because I did find out what the MRI PSI was. 300 PSI, 260, 280? I mean, the, the maximum the you can go. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so probably an ACR This would be like a bit. good idea of what, this would be if you could want to put your, uh, the yeah. fire department with PSI. So we're injecting the PSI at 200 PSI. Yeah. You can go up to a very high PSI, but this is what, this is only 100 PSI with a fire hose. Wow. And for people watching or just listening, I'm just going to kind of explain. So it's just pretty much looks like firemen in training and they are looks like the water hose is actually spraying a lot of water going at 100 PSI, and they're trying to bring it in, I guess, just trying to They're trying to catch it. it. Catch trying it. to take control of it. Yeah. And these men 
I assume they're men, are being wished around yeah, they, by these fire hoses. They don't have a chance. <laughs> and that's just an example of 100 PSI. So you said we're injecting that 200. That's why you're saying that it's important that the IV catheter advance far enough into the vein. That right. at least half of the catheter lens is inside and, the vein. Yes. And... I did want to kind of go over IVs and different sizes and the reasons for them because there are different sizes as far as the length of the IV catheter yep. and also and, and also different IVs and there was um, one of my powerpoints if you want to go Perfect. This IV I don't know if you guys ever oh, yeah, see the diffusics. these diffusics. Yeah. And I love this diffusic and I'm kind of plugging these people so that's the number on on the cap there it's the max the, that it you can, go? can so a 22 gauge on a regular 22 you can go like maybe two or three cc's a second right this on a 22 gauge on this brand iv you can go up to six and a half cc's a second wow. up to 325 psi so they changed the technology somehow, huh? Yes. Wow. So why they can do that at the end of these catheters, not only wow. is there just one hole at the end of the plastic catheter, there's holes at the sides of the catheter. And the little butterfly wings at the end, it's not for the old butterflies to oh, hold yeah. onto <laughs> them. It's for stabilization. So when Anchorage, you kind of. inject at that high pressure, when you have it taped down, it's not going to oh, back out. That's nice. So what this means for patients who hate needles is that you don't have to use like the right. big needles anymore. And so right? when I inject, when I start IVs for MRI, you may see me use a twenty-four gauge diffusic. That's funny because I, <laughs> whenever I see go, those, I don't like those personally. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> well, because well, some some nurses will put a hub at the end, and some won't, and you get that retro flow. Oh. And so unless it's capped off, when you go to you know flush it just before, then you get that retroflow. There's no negative pressure, yeah, because there's no cap. So why I use a 24 gauge, you can go up to three cc's a second. Nice. So you guys. Dang, that's like using a baby needle to to do what uh, 18 gauge used to do or 22 yes. gauge used to do. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's why for I'm MRI. I'm starting to understand now why you guys use those. I will use a 24 gauge this diffusic IV uh, in your department. Yeah, because sometimes, I, and I've been stuck with a 24 gauge, and sometimes you can't even feel it. And well, they're that small. That's so, nice. I love these. Yeah, the, so that's why I love them. That techno that's amazing. So they just it's add some extra holes. It's a little different holes, technique huh? to start them. Oh. But it is, it is a really good IV to use. And uh, the next slide, you'll see it inside the vein. So you'll see it. Oh, and then the smaller the nice. number gauge, the bigger around it is in diameter. So the smaller it is, the more it's going to hurt, basically. Have you noticed any trends with like veins blowing or strafigations or anything like that with these versus the old ones or pretty much kind of the same? It depends on who you talk to. Oh, okay. So, well. Some people blame the needle. Some nurses do not like these IVs because it's a little different technique to start them. So they're not starting them correctly. So uh -huh. they're blowing more of so them. comfort level mostly. Comfort level. Yeah. And then CT claims they're not performing the way that the manufacturer says that they can perform. So, mm. so to get... So if you go back to the uh, uh. that one, it says a 20-gauge should be able to inject at 10 cc's a second with a power injector up to 325 psi. Right. They're saying that 
it's that's not that's not happening. Oh, but. okay. Well, I can imagine if you added more holes, it would slow the pressure down, right? On the way out, so you have to push it faster. No, it should. Or it should be the same. It right? should be able to go faster with more holes. Right, that's true. And I'm trying to think in MRI. Yeah. I think the fastest yeah, rate that we do is three cc's. Yeah, maybe second. four. Right. Yeah, you do four cc's on what it's, exam? With the perfusions, brain perfusions. Those are four. Well, we would. But then would we know. don't know that. Then why do you just say okay? I did not know that. Yes. And I don't know if it's been that way the whole time. And some people do go three on them. But I know there's a research, one of the, like the glioma researchers for sure. I'm pretty sure it goes four. I might be wrong on that, though. I've been off my game lately. Okay. But either way, <laughs> you're, you're definitely no, within that window of allowance. So it right. looks like, you know, you're up to 10 cc's. So there's no concern there. You're saying, although it claims that, it might not be that. But even so, you're going to at least be safe with when you're injecting the three cc's. What does CT usually do? Do you know at their highest rate? They have some exams that are eight cc's a second. Really? So we put two IVs in. Okay. So. And you do that just in case one blows and you have access? No. They do four cc's in each IV. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because, yeah. Now, as a nurse, what's the average size IV? So you're not in radiology or anything, but when a patient comes into the hospital, what's the average size IV that they just put in? Is there just like a standard? In radiology? No, no, no. Saying that if the patient yeah, well, just ER got... ER is, yeah. is different than... Oh, so it yeah, just doesn't matter. So facility, a facility, I yeah. think probably right as well. Probably so. 20 uh, gauge is probably the most common IV, common. I would say. And I would oh, say... Okay. Personally, 99% of the IVs that I've started are 22. Right. For MRI, 22. Right. That's, yeah. Okay. Because that's what you need. One question that I had for you, Eileen, is because a little bit of research that I was doing before you came was, what's the difference between infiltration and extravasation? So infiltration is like saline or Ringer's lactate. Extravasation is contrast. Okay. Is oh. okay. my so understanding. It's the, the unit or the, okay. Okay. I believe. Oh, because of how the body kind of absorbs it, maybe? Or, I don't know. Yeah. So then I, I put this in because the power uh, port needles. Oh, and yeah. I don't know if this, well, it should mean for you also that when we use a power port needle, the little Y port on the side on the left should have a dead end cap on it and not a flow cap. If you hit the hit it again and have that little blue flow cap at the end should not be on the Y port on the side because when you power inject, it can back out the flow cap on the Y port on, on the, the side. Port. It should have a dead end cap, the pressure. Even with the clamps, it's the weirdest thing. For CT, we have found even if you clamp off the end and go through the Y port, it still backs up through the clamp. Oh, so wow. when a patient's presented to you with a port and you need to access it, what are the steps to do oh, that? Oh, wow. Is that so easier we, than an IV at least? No, Just because we are reference. extremely picky with our power injectable oh, ports. right. So we have to make sure first that they're power injectable. We have to make sure that... And you do uh, that by checking the model number or something? The patient no, we has have a card? To, uh, they have a card. We have to look at the chest image. Right. We have to make sure that the tip 
is the uh-huh. tip of the catheter is in the correct place, meaning... So you're looking at a radiograph next Yes, right. radiograph. Nice. That the tip is in the SVC right. or in the right atrium, somewhere in the right atrium. And then we have to make sure that there is blood return. If mm. we do not have blood return, we cannot use it. And a lot of patients say, oh, I never have blood return. They still use it. Right. We cannot use a power port power unless port. we have blood return. Mm. I keep a, a little kind of uh, my own little images of funky ports. <laughs> I've seen some ports where the tip has migrated up into the carotid artery. Oh. So you know you don't want to... it just does that from flow? It just migrates, and it was a young guy. Oh, wow. How long do you have his in for? I don't know. Okay. But you definitely don't want to power inject 250 of contrast into his brain. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, we've had ports that have migrated through the wall. Oh, we had a port that migrated through the chest wall into somebody's lungs and they were infusing TPA into his lungs. Oh, So then, yeah, the patient was an inpatient and they were coming down for thoracentesis. So we were sucking out. TPA is what you would give for a stroke patient, right? No, no. Oh, oh, not TPA, TPN. I'm sorry. TPN. TPN. Okay. TPN, so that's total parenteral nutrition, which uh, is somebody that can't oh, geez. eat. Yeah, so they were it. getting TPN through their their port, and it was infusing right into their chest because they weren't checking for blood return. Thanks, that's pretty important. Yes. Yeah. So is there anything after, for, as far as a tech goes, that we need to be doing to treat it differently than an IV? Like, for example, I've worked at a facility that you would flush it with heparin saline. So right now we're not flushing anything with heparin anymore. Okay. Mm. So, but we you have to make sure also want to scrub the hub for uh, 15 seconds. Right. You really want to make sure you are scrubbing the hub for 15 seconds at least. Okay. You, with alcohol. With alcohol, yeah. yes. And even if it has one of those alcohol caps oh, yeah. on it. You take that off, you scrub the hub for 15 seconds. Right. You want to make sure you've got really good blood return. You want to then flush it really well with saline. Some of the picks we have, I don't know if you've seen the picks. They're called solo picks. Uh, they have a little different configuration. They have like a little bulbous kind of end. Uh-huh. It's because they have the valve is in a different place, so they don't get kind of a reflux. Uh So sometimes getting blood return on them is a little more difficult. So it's a pause, pull, pause, pull, Uh, pause, pull. With the picks, And then you'll get the blood return. And the same thing with push. When you're flashing, huh? Push, pause, push, pause. But you want to be extremely careful when accessing and flushing them because you do not want to introduce any infection right. in those. And that's the number one concern, right? It would right. be an infection. And that's the reason why you would make sure to wash it for 15 seconds and stuff and take extra precautions because you're getting direct access. Yes, right. that's direct access, yes. And would you take the same precautions you said for that port you would a pick or a central line or something like that as well? Oh, yeah. All okay. ports, picks are all central lines. Okay. Hey, 
You know how many takes it took me to get that picture? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, what I'm seeing is a little graininess. <laughs> and, you and you clipped the right uh, angle there, the contrapanic <laughs> angle. Yeah, I photobombed a chest x oh, yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny. No nurses with harm to making this podcast. <laughs> well, there's a million questions we could ask. I mean, you got years of experience. Is there anything you can think of, Reggie? Yeah, no. Um, no, that's a good question. One thing we do like to ask all of our guests, and we'll, we'll ask it now. Yeah. What would you say is the most satisfying or most fulfilling moment you've had in your healthcare career so far? Yeah. I love doing IVs. And one of the pictures was ultrasound IVs. I oh, do yeah. ultrasound IVs. I, we used to have this tiny little ultrasound. It was, I used to call it the transistor radio of that little thing. Oh, okay. um, why is it that you would need an ultrasound to start an IV? Uh, some, we have a lot of challenging IVs. Kind of help on um, the vein and stuff. Yeah. So instead of poking, 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 and uh, you know, missing, we have a lot of fluffy patients that have the little deeper veins. Oh, nice. Yeah. So because even me too, because I'm a pretty skinny guy, but my veins roll, and they. Uh, I always used to give. Uh, I hate when a patient poke says poke. that a veins roll, what does that mean? Because you hear that a lot. I think right. sometimes it's a excuse for poor technique. Ah. <laughs> so I think it's just somebody's they just, excuse. They were hustling me. But one thing that I always tell people, and I'm pointing at you, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> I'm all ears. Um, I like to teach people how to do IVs. And mm -hmm. I say, do not go by the IV, the vein that you can see. Go by the vein that you can feel ah. because you're not going to see it on dark skinned people. You're not going to yep. see it on people so with, with tattoo sleeves all yep. over the place. You're not going to see it necessarily on a fluffy person that has a deeper vein. Right. You're not going to see. So do not go by the ones that you can see. Go by the ones that you feel. Yeah. And you want to really feel that bouncy, bouncy vein. Oh, almost spongy, huh? And yeah. you want to follow that vein and get a really good feel. Nice. And I have a lot of... I, I really enjoy IVs and teaching IVs. That nice. is my right. thing. Oh, that's awesome. So. And by the way, I love starting IVs too. So I steal them from you sometimes. <laughs> the what? I steal them from you sometimes. Good. Oh, I'm glad because not all MR or CT. All right. And not all nurses are glad when I do. It's, it's an art to, really? uh, yeah. to, to kind of it be really good art. at that yes. because... It's a, it's a skill that you can lose. So right. I try to, I, I, it's good something for I you. genuinely enjoy doing. And I can give you some tips and techniques that I have learned over sure. the years. All right. I don't like when I see nurses oh, hitting like. and flicking and hitting. I wouldn't like that on me. Right. Somebody. Because what is that they're trying to do anyway? They want to like, bring that vein up and kind of. Inflame uh, it? Or? Inflame it. Right. Okay. But I think what I do, I know we have our little kit, kits with the chlorhexidine little oh, wipes, yeah, yeah. but I take alcohol wipes and I wipe it uh, to, just, just to kinda... bring it up. And then I use the chlorhexidine. So the wiping oh. does the same thing. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Instead of flicking. And, and like. <laughs> uh, sometimes I use two tourniquets. Oh, nice. A little tighter and little snugger. Higher. Nice. That's another technique. I use blood pressure cuffs too, but you guys can't really use a blood pressure cuff yeah. inside. Right. And, and a blood pressure cuff is a really good technique. I want to, to get use. the veins really popping out. Huh? Yep. 
Dang, we should get a starter kit in here one of these days. Well, I did want to kind of cover like tips and tricks as, as far as the patient perspectives and the person starting the IV. So one thing that we would recommend for patients who are coming in to have an IV start, especially if you're known to be a tough stick, if there's no restrictions and you're not meant to have labs and there's no reason for MPO, then drink plenty of fluids. Drink, Make sure you're hydrated. Drink. That's probably the best thing you can do. Make sure you're hydrated. Right. Yeah. But we do have little tricks of the trade, and one of them are, is like these vein finders. Oh, right? yeah. They use UV light or something, right? Yeah. They're pretty cool, actually. But when I've talked to people who like phlebotomists and stuff, people who do this all day, every day, they don't really, they're not sold on it. But they're these vein visuals, visualizations are also known as vein eliminations. But check this out. It's a 32 second video. Oh, that's interesting. So the veins are the dark and areas. And I've seen this, yeah. And it's real, like I've seen this in bright person. bright UV light they're putting across this person's and arm. And it looks as cool as it, I mean, this is, it's pretty cool, man. And you can use it on like someone that's darker skin too? Honestly, I would Russian? imagine so, but right. I don't know. That's interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I've never used one. They have ones with, you know, like little lights. You can just see it. No, you don't see it. You see that? It's crazy. But yeah. like you, Eileen, I, I basically, I really... You like being invasive. Just say it. Ah. <laughs> well, no, I really I'm still trying to get this guy out of my house. And, you know, <laughs> I really lean on palpating over seeing, and so I kind of I have to be able to feel it versus see it. And that what they're showing you there is a person who can't feel it and they can't see it, oh, and so now right. they only can use visual aids right. too. Oh, that's true. And I really, Bad really habits. need to be able to feel it. So when I personally start an IV, is first thing I do is I f I try to find it the vein mm -hmm. i try to make sure that it's not close to an artery i try to feel where it's coming from and where it's going the uh -huh. direction Just see how sclerotic it is see if it's going to be one that rolls on me if so then i'll anchor it more anchoring it that, that is the key right is that just so tugging the skin more no you, so you you're anchor, gonna anchor it anchoring distally. is here like you know you're just going say this is one here you're just gonna hold it oh. so that when you poke it it's right. not going to run away from you so if you're just going to go like this it, uh, it, and if you so have you, a sclerotic vein that's when it's going to run away too if uh, you're if you have a vein here that you have vein. given blood you know mm -hmm. 50 times uh, that little scar tissue you have a lot of scar tissue that. it just might run away uh, so but anchoring anchoring it, Yes. Yeah, especially like for patients who are former IV drug abusers and stuff like that. Yeah. That's something you see a lot with the scar tissue. So uh, chemo patients. Chemo. Yeah, chemo patients. We have a yeah. lot of chemo patients right. and IV drug abusers. Yeah. So there's a lot of tricks and trades, but one one trick that I would say to start an IV is you want to go, really want to visualize going in as parallel as possible to the vein itself. So mm -hmm. don't come at a steep angle if you're coming like this. No. You kind of want to come like this. Well, yeah. you're going to be going this direction, but keep in mind the angle of which the vein comes and goes, and you want to kind of go along with that, and you want to go parallel with the the vein itself as as much so as you can. That's why you switch the hub. So the flow, obviously. Well, you want to go this direction. With the arm. Yeah. And so what happen if you went the other way? Would that? Well, you bias. you would get retrograde. Right, well, if flow you go, back, right? If you go the going wrong way, the yeah. Right. I mean, I guess if you're going, I don't know. I've never done, started an artery. I've never accessed an artery. If you were doing an artery, you'd probably go that way, would you? Well, I'm saying if you accessed an artery, say in the arm by mistake, you yeah. know it. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've never done that. It's a bad day. I've never done that. <laughs> it happens. But what? It, it's actually let's cover that though. What would be a good way to kind of QA whether or not you've done that? So your the blood comes back right. Uh, right away, and it comes back bright red, 
as opposed oh. as a little darker. So arterial blood is brighter bright than red. venous blood. It also comes back as a pressure. Does it pulsate? It pulsates. So when you're feeling it, that's how you know you're on an artery, huh? Is the feeling yeah. the pulsation? But I have had some patients where, especially when I look with ultrasound, where their artery is more center, like, medial, which is weird because uh-huh. your artery is usually like on, lateral, right? Lateral right. on the side. So it is weird when you see an artery that's in a weird spot. Right. But when you do start it in an artery by mistake, you should take it out and you need to hold pressure directly on that artery for mm. at least 10 minutes. Wow. Yeah. And successful venipuncture into a venous after the exam itself, you've given the contrast, now you're ready to take the IV out. Is there any kind of instructions that you should give a patient? How long it should be on for? Right. I always tell the for? patient, leave it on a half hour, 45 minutes. It's because a lot of our patients are on blood thinners, and aspirin is still a blood thinner. So right, right. we use Coban, which is a wonderful bandage, because right. I think it's great. I just um, found out they don't use latex and Coban anymore. I thought there was some kind of latex in Coban for the longest, but I guess they no, don't use latex, no latex. No. in that. Um, oh, yeah, that's amazing. Which is good because there's a lot of patients with latex allergies. Right. right. So I thought that was awesome. So we use uh, Coban, which is a, except in the lab, they do not use Coban, uh, which, because they would go through millions of dollars. Oh, of, David, if you don't um, mind, this example of what Coban looks like. But I do like the Coban, so I'll tell them to put it on for about half hour, 45 minutes. Right. I always put my finger over the spot, even with the Coban on, and I'll hold it for 30 seconds. I always tell them, I said, I'm not on blood thinners, but I always put my uh, finger over the spot when I have my labs drawn. Right. It prevents that little black and blue that always happens, you know, when you I have always, your labs drawn. Right. I always tell them when the lab patients have their labs drawn and they get that big black and blue, it's usually because they draw the labs, they put that gauze over, and then they put that white curlex around Uh, it. And then the patient leaves the lab, they bend their arm, the curlex goes up an inch. So now it works like a tourniquet. (laughs) So now they get a little blood leaking out underneath. So now they have that bruise. (laughs) So what they should do is just hold that spot for at least a minute, you know, when they leave the lab. And I always educate the patients. Nice. You know. And then as far as the exam itself, we just gave you contrast. So we always, not not really related to the IV, but just what we do is we ask that you drink plenty of fluids after the exam. Right. You want to flush your system. I always tell them it's in your bladder already. I always tell them beforehand, if they've never had the contrast, itching, sneezing, trouble breathing, those would be some signs of allergic reaction. Mm -hmm. I said 90% of the time, patients are doing that right on the table. That's how fast it happens. I said, you know, some patients will say, does it happen days later? I said, it's usually not from the contrast. It's usually from something else because the contrast is long out of their system. Right. You know, days later. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, unless right. they have some kind of kidney issue, right. I guess. But And like Eileen touched on earlier, with MRI, I can speak about that. It's a less than 1% reaction rate. And for those who do have a reaction, the most common symptom would be actually headaches. 
Well, we see hives a lot too, but as far as like afterwards, you leave the department, you know, symptoms that come show up later, but. And I what, wouldn't what call that an allergic, I wouldn't call that an allergic reaction. I would call that an intolerance, more yeah, okay. of oh. an allergic reaction. That's a good point, yeah. And then what was your reaction rate for CT? Was it 3%? 3% of the population has an allergic reaction, has a allergy to allergy. iodine. Nice. Yeah, so there's a big discrepancy there. Yeah, nice. And that's still not very high. Yeah, that's for iodine, you would think it would be higher than that. Yeah, right. So, and no, for sure, it also is a big difference the iodine we have today than we had 30, 40 years ago. Iodine mm. 30, 40 years ago was a strong iodine. Oof. Patients stopped breathing. They broke out in hives. 30, 40 years ago. The iodine we have today is non-ionic contrast. Nice. It's a lot different than what we had 30, 40 years ago. So it's 3% of the not, that people are allergic to the non-ionic contrast. Nice. 30, 40 years ago, the iodine, it was a lot higher percent of people that were allergic to it. And I don't know what the percentage is, but- A lot higher, huh? They were, <laughs> oh yeah. Too frequent. And it shut down your kidneys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the well, scary thing about that. Yeah. And I imagine CT is the same way, but with MRI, there's different contrast agents. Like gadolinium is what we use, but there's different brands of gadolinium, just like soda. There's different brands. Right. I think with CT, they even break it down into like vascularities, like how vascular oh, it is. Yes. Yeah. So the yeah. different brands have yes. different ionic bonds. Yes. They have different reaction rates. Yeah. Correct. Yes, we have 350, 300. We would love to bring somebody have... in to kind of talk about that. So is there anything else? We kind of covered a lot. Yeah, thank you for coming. This is amazing. It was good? Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Thank you. It was I great. Really yeah. appreciate it. I feel like there's a million questions out there. And if you guys have any more questions, feel free to ask them. We would love to have Eileen come back. Yeah. Any excuse to bring her back, we would love for that. For sure. So. And keep your eye out on uh, any job postings for radiology nursing because it sounds like a pretty sweet gig. It right? is. <laughs> so, well, thank you for having me. Thank this was you, fun. Eileen, for coming. And thank you guys for watching. We've got other videos we're trying to post soon, so look out for those. But in the meantime, keep watching us. We appreciate you. We're, the, we're Reggie and Robert, the MRI guys. Yeah. We've got Eileen, so we've got the crew, and we've got Dave behind the camera. So thank you again for watching. This is Zone 3 Podcast. If there's anything else, can you think of anything? In the world of MRI. I don't know. Have a good night. We're out. Yeah. Thank you for watching. Bye. Bye. The information and comments provided in the Zone 3 podcast and website are not intended to be technical or medical recommendations or advice for individuals or patients. The information and comments provided under the auspices of Zone 3 podcasts and their guests are of a general nature and should not be considered specific to any individual or patient. Whether or not a specific patient is referenced by the physician, technologist, individual, group, or other entity seeking information. Zone 3 Podcast may provide links or references to websites. Such links are provided as a convenience to our listeners seeking more information on topics. These websites are not affiliated with Zone 3 Podcast, nor do they endorse or manage content discussions unless otherwise stated during recording.